0: We are um, at the end of our series on slavery to sonship. We have two more uh, days, uh, this one and the next week, uh, w- as we go finishing stages of what it looks like to, to transform your understanding of yourself as just a person into an understanding that you're an heir to the kingdom of heaven. From changing the way you see God as a creator, yes, but to include God as father and what that does and how it shifts everything about what you do. We talked about the fact that you, as an heir, you have inheritance. That, that Paul says everything that God has because you've been adopted into the family is yours. And last week we talked about, okay, so what does that mean? How do you even walk into that reality? And, and I ended with kind of, it's love. That you need to Love. Because God so much loves you, and if we are trying to be like Him, then we must love one another also. But then what does that look like? How do you walk into that? How do you love each other? How do you maybe a different term? How do you honor one another? So I, I've been um, I used to be when I was a kid very interested in politics. I was really into uh, the political scene and and learning a lot about it. I even spent a summer in Washington, D.C. as a page for the House of Representatives. Um, It was a really cool experience that I had. I was in high school. We had this dorm right off of uh, just a couple blocks from the Capitol, and um, there's pages all year round. During the school year, they have to go to school, but in the summertime, it's just like, whee, it's fun in Washington, D.C., and you get to be in the, uh, the house. Uh, I, have a, I had a desk at one time in the speaker's office. It was Tom Foley, who I believe recently died. Um, he was speaker of the house then. And I got to sit. I had my own little desk in his office. I just got selected for this extra duty. And I got to open his, his letters. And I had a box for death threat. Um, <laughs> and it was a big box. Um, and, and then I had a, a box for constituents and then a, a box for the rest of, of the country. And and so I would, you know, read his mail. I got taken to a Senate ice cream social when I was with the speaker's house. And I got to meet Alonzo Mourning, who was playing at Georgetown at the time and was a, a page for a senator from um, one of the Carolinas. And uh, and, you know, I just got to do this. I got to go to the top of the Capitol building where no one gets to go. And I took and a congressman handed me a marker and said, go ahead, and sign your name to me and the other kids that were there. And we're like, what? OK, you're telling us to do this. So I have graffiti in the Capitol building. That's right. What are you gonna do about it? Uh, You don't know where it is. And and so there's all these amazing things. And I got to be there when Nelson Mandela spoke. Do you remember when he came and and spoke to a joint sessions? I was in the room. That was so amazing. That was so cool to have that moment. And the the riots, uh, the the protests that were going on outside, it was during the flag burning issue, um, all of that stuff. And and we'd walk by the windows and, and see all the commotion outside. And then we'd you know, if you're a page, it's probably different now, but if you were a page back then, you were a blue blazer, gray slacks, white shirt and the, the page tie. You could go anywhere in that building and no one ever stopped you. I mean, it was just like you carry a little manila folder and you have your page thing on and your little badge. Every door was open to you. Um, I'm sure it's different now, but uh, back then it was just it was great. It was so much fun, the Fourth of July out on the Capitol Lawn and seeing the fireworks go and had my first beer there. That's right. <clears throat> it was legal um for eighteen and I wasn't eighteen. But uh it was it was just so cool. It's such an amazing experience and I love politics. I, I happen to be serving for this guy, Don Edwards. Uh he was a uh California congressman. I was from California during my high school years and um and Don was a, a great guy. I, I only met him on a few occasions really. Uh, but he and I could not have differed more politically. Um, and so I got called from our local newspaper. And it was an interview. It was my first interview. This is my big shot, my big moment. Um, and I and I said something to the effect of I, I agree with nothing um, that Don Edwards has done in his tenure in Congress. Um, and so they called my home. Um, you know, the congressman's office called my mother and pretty much said, Michael should not be talking to the press any longer. Um, so I went from just this great moment of, hey, they want to know what I say, to you don't talk to the press. OK, uh, it, but it was one of those things where I, I, Don was a great guy and did a lot of good things. I just happened to differ with him politically. Um, but, but now I can't stand politics. It just it, it leaves a, a, a vile taste in my mouth, really. And I think the reason is because there was once upon a time when people honored each other and respected one another. Whether or not they agreed with them, you respected them. Nowadays, it seems like um, every political campaign, you're not just trying to tell people how great you are. You're telling to tell people how horrible the other person is. And you, you want to use the differences that are there to step on them. I heard this radio interview with a guy who just was elected to a community college board member. Uh, He was a board member of a community college, just got elected to the seat. It's an unpaid position at a small community college somewhere over uh, around Houston. And during the campaign, it got ugly. And the guys were attacking one another. And I'm like, this isn't the presidency that you're running for. It's. Commun- I mean, sure, that position's great, and I'm sure that community college is wonderful and very good leadership, whatever. But really, why is it that we have created a culture in our world, in our society, where it's okay to trash someone else if it benefits you? Why, why have we created this world in which, you know, it's almost expected that you step on other people to get where you're going. We've created this, this vision, this understanding that what, what makes us different, we see it as a negative thing. And we say it's a flaw because they're not like us. Rabbi Sachs says that God dealt kindly with the world by not putting all the gifts and talents in one place. I love that. It was a blessing from God that he didn't make everything that the world would ever need in one person. Let's take Jesus out of this and say the church as we go forward. That everything that we need in new heights, he didn't put in me. Thank you. Because we would be crashing and burning. It is our need for other people that is highlighted From our differences. The fact that God has created some people this way and me this way enables me to need them. Enables me to be in community with them. In relationship with them. To highlight not the the fact that they're wrong, but the fact that they have something else to offer. I may not agree with it. But I can honor it. I can respect it. Too often we look at the other person and we see what's different than us and we're like, ugh. Israel, um, Berlin, uh, said this, The road to slaughter of a people is the belief that those who don't share my faith, values, or race don't share my humanity. The road to slaughter of a people is the belief that those who don't share my faith... Values or race don't share my humanity. This was written a long time ago, and I think it's never been more true than today. That we separate ourselves into groups and say, those people do not have the same value that I do. In Genesis one twenty-seven, God says this. So, God created human beings... In his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Aggies and horn frogs, he created them. No one else. Sorry. In the image of God, he created them. Republicans and Tea Party, he created them in the image of God. In the image of God, he created them. The ACLU, the libertarian, the green, he created them. It's not what it says. It says in the image of God, he created them male and female. Raise your hand if you're not in one of those two categories. Raise your hand if you know someone who has existed on this earth that is not in one of those two categories. Raise your hand if then there has ever been anyone who has ever existed that was not created in the image of God. If you know that person, raise your hand. Let me throw out his name, her name. In the image of God, all were created. In the image of God, we were created. Now we finished last week by saying we have to love one another, but then we get into this thing like but people are crazy, you know? Look around. There are people that are so out there. Why how could I love them? Because they're created in God's image. You don't have to agree. You don't have to agree with their lifestyle, with their theology, with their political bent, with the color of their hair, with how low they wear their pants or not. But you have to love them because they're in the image of God. We have to move into a culture of honor. This culture of honor that doesn't look at people by what they are, but but we begin to honor them for who they were created in the image of. Look, that's going to open up the door to honoring people who are not honorable. It opens the door to honoring someone because they're in a position of authority over you, even though you don't like them, you don't agree with some of the things they do, but it's not because they are honorable, it is because you are honorable. Danny Silk has this book called Culture of Honor, and in this book he says that you're going to find yourself in times and places where you must honor the unhonorable. Because it's you who are honorable. You who know that God loves you. And because of that, you know that God loves that person, and so you must honor and love. You must find yourself in a position, in a place, to to be able to say, you know what? It's okay that I disagree with them. I I mean, let's go back to politics here. The amount of names that the President of the United States has called, other than the President of the United States, is astounding. I don't agree with everything the President has done. But as a child of God, I'm called to honor him. And I can honor him in a way that's respectful, that's loving because he is a child of God. Whether or not he understands that is not the point. The point is, he's the president of our country, and so you honor him. I continue to do the things I do to create the world I think God wants to create. I continue to be the person who I believe God desires me to be. But I honor even those I disagree with. Even those who maybe disagree with me so much, they have no respect for me. That's okay. That's not my problem. My problem is how I handle myself. I can't change. I can't affect. I can't make you act a certain way. What I can do is love you and honor you. I've said it in here so many times, and I'm going to continue to say it because it means so much to me. That when I did this wedding a few months ago with this Catholic priest, He said this line that just has been burned on my heart. He said a successful marriage is when you look at your spouse and you say, how can I love you? In order that you may become more the person God desires you to be. How can I love you in such a way that you are just open up into who God wants you to be? He says, but the unhealthy way. And I kind of added to this, but there's two things and two ways in which we primarily relate to one another. And it's not just in marriages that we do this. It's every relationship. We look at a person and we say, how can you love me to make me more of who I want to be? What can I get from you? What can you do for me that's going to be about me, 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 me? The second one is how can I love you? To make you the person I want you to be. How can I love you? Read, manipulate you to make you who I want you to be. Anybody ever tried this with their spouse? Anybody ever had success with that? Yeah, that doesn't work. And so what if in our relationships... What, what if in the, the people that we encounter, the, we have this mentality that what we are to do is to love that person in such a way that, it, that it, oh, we, we discern what their gifts are. And we know, man, you're like this, so I, I don't know exactly what you're supposed to do with it. But whatever I can do to help, let me do it. How can I love you in such a way that you become the son, the daughter that God wants you to be? How can I lift you up? David Miske says uh, he has this image. He was standing in his kitchen one day and there's a picture of Pam, his wife, on the refrigerator. And he sees her and he has this realization that her dreams, the things that she desires, the, the, the way that she's moving into the daughter that she, that, that she believes God wants her to be, they rest in his hands, a lot of it. That as her spouse, he's like, I get to hold Pam's dreams and lift them up to God. See, the, the way that, that we should operate as husband and wife is just that. The way that we should operate as brother and sister is just that. That when we have relationships with one another, then part of who I am rests with you. And part of who you are, I have the honor of carrying. We need to become a cultural church of honor. We need to become a place that says, not what can you do for me, but how can we love you? How can we love you? How can we open up the world of the Spirit to you? How can we open up God's kingdom to you? How can we serve you? So that you can figure out who you are in God. Because it starts there. If you don't have that identity down, the rest of this is crazy talk. You got to know that you're a son, a daughter of God. You have to know that he is your father. You have to know that as you are adopted into the family, then you have everything. This inheritance just piles up on you. And as that inheritance comes on you, what we talked about was you just give it right back. The joy of inheritance is giving it, not being a miser and holding it back Look at that did for Scrooge. It's giving back, giving back. How can I pour into you? How can I pour into you? And let me tell you, from the experiences that we've had on staff here, Especially the pastoral staff. The ways in which we operate. It's shifted how we treat one another. We were never mean to one another. We're all you know, pastors. We're all kind of gentle and nice by nature. Most of us. But what it did is it, it helped us to see one another a little differently. We all look at David differently now. One of David's key lines, and I used it for years, and I've stopped doing it, is, Hey, I'm David. I'm one of the pastors here in the community. No, you're not. You're the senior pastor. You're the rabbi. You're the guy who sets the vision for our community. I'm not equal to you. That's okay. Okay. But how can I get underneath you and and support you in a way that we carry the mission forward? What can I do as a son? How can I honor you to move the kingdom forward? To join God in what God's doing in our little corner of the world? Daryl looks at me the same way. Daryl and I have known each other for a long time. Almost 20 years now. And we've been around the world together. We've shared the same bed. That's right. Get over it. We have done all sorts of things together. Um, He and I are friends. Good friends. We know everything probably about one another. Um, But I'm his rabbi. And he sees it that way. And he comes to me, and let me tell you, Daryl's a lot smarter than I am. Like, a lot smarter. You wouldn't know it by his hair and his t-shirt, but dude's brilliant. He's about to be Dr. Daryl. You know, he's writing his thesis right now to get his doctorate. He wants to be called Dr. Dr. D, by the way, just to get that out there. Um, but, I'm, but I'm the I'm the authority. See, the thing about this is, where you find yourself in authority sometimes, you're not the smartest person in the room. You're not the most talented, the most gifted person in the room. David has people that are underneath him that are so much better at different things than he is. I have people underneath me that are better than most everything. That doesn't matter, because God placed me here. And as we have shifted this understanding of how we see one another and we've taken this idea of honor, what it means to be a son, a daughter, a place in the family business, we've come to accept that and to say, you know what, that's okay. I don't have to be the smartest guy in the room. I have people for that. And I'm like, Daryl, use the gift that you have to help me do better at my job. How can I help you do better at yours? How can I help you be a better worship leader, a better father, a better husband? And he's saying the same thing back to me. When you set up this culture of honor, it's just like Chip and Dale. The little um, little, little rodents, what were they? Chipmunks, obviously. Chip and Dale. They're like, after you. No, no, please, after you. No, after you. No, after you. Remember that? Some of you are old enough to know this. I see a lot of gray hair out there. You understand this. It's this idea that you're almost falling over yourself to give honor to someone. And when that culture of honor sets up, and you should see the stuff that happens in our church now. You should see the, 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 the fire that's just building and burning and this, the movement of the Holy Spirit right here is great. And it's not because all of a sudden God's like, all right, let's just go ahead and uh, we'll come to Alamo Heights for a little bit and work around here. And then we'll move over back to Trinity Baptist and uh, whatever. And not saying that God's not working over there, by the way. It's that we understood something. It's that we finally got it. It's that we understood that we're his sons and daughters. And how can we move in such a way that we join him? And as we do that, it just happens over and over again. That people feel loved where once they felt excluded. That people feel grace and mercy where once they were hurt. And lost. As we have given ourselves over to our father's mission. As we have changed our culture into a culture of honor. We have discovered what it means to receive inheritance. It begins with knowing who you are. And then living into it. May we honor one another. May we love one another because God first loved us. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of life that you have given us. We thank you, Lord. That you've created all of us, male and female, in your image. And because of that, there is value in every single one of us. Not just in this room, but everyone who has a heartbeat in this world. It is you who started that heart. It is you who created it. Lovingly in your image. Help us, Lord, to make a transition in how we see one another. Not just as people who differ from us. Because we do. But let us see those differences as positive. Let us see those as your gift and blessing to this world. Let us begin to move into a culture of honor, that the kingdom would be released. We thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus.